You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 11. The Odd Couple. Within the next few seconds, Abigail had cleared the space between us in the dark wood and rushed in to embrace the old lady. Em! She cried, almost yanking the crown off her feet. I recognize you, of course. You were my guide this summer. We talked on the ethereal plane. I talked. You babbled. M corrected. You were high off your tits. This is James, the doctor I told you about. We're in a bind right now, stuck in this world and headed for what we hope is the way home. Where are we anyhow? You are in Kelador. M replied, shouldering out of Abigail's embrace and patting her on the head. On the western continent... And you're lucky the nag and I were on a winter holiday here. Yes, lucky you. The horse sneered. Disturbing our one and only rest period of the year. It was quite astonishing to witness these words emerging from an equine throat and mouth. I felt as though I had tripped sideways into a delusion. The beast tilted his head in an arrogant fashion, and the shock of white sable stretching up his otherwise black mane fell across his contemptuous dark eyes. What are they disturbing that's so precious? M shot at the horse. You spend every hour of every day either snoozing or complaining. And if I don't get regular, scheduled relaxation time away, I can barely muster the energy for that. Right. We'd best all be off. Follow us and button your lips, all of you. There are many old things in this forest, some of which you'd be better off not meeting. She led the way back to the path and through a copse, to where the thicket seemed to part, and a little stone cottage emerged from the darkness. It bore a thatched roof, thick uneven glass panels in the windows, and lamps which lit up as we approached. All this was happening in a blurry, dreamlike procession for me. Hunger had taken over my system, along with exhaustion. Em approached the front door, which was bisected, like one you'd find on a stable. She held up her hand and muttered a word. First the top half opened outwards, then the bottom half. We'll be safe in here. Come on in. Spit spot. Guests lost. The nag pushed in front of the pair of us and stalked into the little cottage, seeming preposterously large for his surroundings. He took up residence, slumping down on a threadbare, oversized, bottle-green fainting couch, which groaned under his weight. Em removed her hat and hung it on a stand, depositing her long, gnarled staff beside that, removing her shawl and rolling up her sleeves. Food and drink. She gestured to the round cedar wood kitchen table, covered in papers and candles. Sit and talk. I studied her face and found I trusted her completely. And so you should, she remarked as I sat down, blinking. A merry fire played in the hearth as my eyes circled the room. Abigail started talking. So is your full name Emma? Merlane. Merlane. The word crept into my mind as I realised its significance. I found I had no suspicions and no questions relating to its validity. How could the most famous wizard of all English folklore be here and be a woman? She was, and she was which meant that the how and even the why were unimportant. She had many books around her home that I wanted to read as soon as I had strength to stand up again. Each shelf was warped with age and leaned at an angle, but their leather-bound contents called out to me. 
Beside them were cabinets lined with mathematical, geometrical, astronomical, and probably necronomical apparatus. Glints of brass shone out among bottles and scrolls. There was a seeming order to its chaotic organization, and I was enraptured in its presence. Magic's in there, boy. Merlin muttered as she placed an Earl Grey tea in front of me. I hadn't seen her put the kettle on the stove yet, let alone retrieve it, though the memory of whistling was in my ears. This was moving at a speed I couldn't match. I wanted to stay in these safe, comfortable, wonderful moments forever. Can't, though. She murmured and placed two digestive biscuits on the saucer from a red tartan-patterned tin. Savor them. I started to ask questions, but Abigail was standing beside Merlane, babbling at her while she cooked. My eye fell on the nag as he lounged and chewed on licorice root. He looked at me and said imperiously, So this is the bright and brainy one. You knew we were coming, I determined. Obviously, said the nag with theatrical emphasis. I concluded that we were being manipulated, at least to a degree, but not entirely deceived. Something about the atmosphere made this prospect feel less worrying than it might have been. If we're on an earth named Kelador now... Abigail inquired, leaning against the smooth, rounded brickwork of the cottage wall. What do you call the world we came from? We've been calling it Centrum for a while now, said Merlane, breezily, pulling on insulated gloves and retrieving a steaming pie from the oven. Centrum. Centrum, I thought, and at this moment reality seemed to melt away. And the vision of Merlane swam before me, piercing eyes, gazing into both of mine, including my left under the patch. Sentence. I visualized a cartwheel, a sunflower, a human iris, pupil dilated to take in more and more. The darkness of that black hole grew behind it, and yet within it was a supernova, a concept I hadn't even considered until that point. And for the briefest of moments within that supernova, something like an, an octopus of unfathomable scale, so large it devoured both space and time, flung itself up so high above me that my own size became irrelevant. I teetered on the edge of madness as infinity poured into my mind. We've been calling it Century for a while now, said Merlane breezily, pulling on insulated gloves and retrieving a steaming pie from the oven. Century. Century, I thought. That sounded grand, important, and worth protecting. Century repeated Abigail, crossing the room until she stood nose to enormous nose with the horse on the couch. Century. Are you... Malloy? Who? He snorted. Then, in an intricate movement, he uncorked a bottle from a nearby shelf with his tongue, gripped the neck between his teeth, and tilted it upwards, letting the fiery liquor pour down his throat. Old Nair. Samson. My real name, said the nag, setting aside the bottle for a moment, is so long and complicated you'd forget the end by the time you got to the middle. Really? No. Okay. Let me just say that this isn't the first encounter we've had with mystical, hopefully benevolent beings who seem to know a lot more about us and our situation than anyone can know. It's not even our third encounter. And I just want to state for the record, that's fine. Abigail splayed her gloved fingers wide. Whoever you are, if it's some big secret thing that you can't tell us about, we're okay with that. 
And the reason why it's fine is because so far, you've helped to expand our minds at key crossroads. You've given us good advice. You've warned us when bad things were coming. I mean, it might have been more helpful if you'd been more specific. Certain people might still be alive. But I guess cosmically that stuff had to happen. Her eyes narrowed as she looked across at Marlene. Unless it didn't. Could you put the placemats and cutlery down, please, dearie? The crone said placidly. I absolutely will, said Abigail, retrieving the tableware, punctuating every beat by pointedly laying down one at a time. Because you two turned up exactly when we needed you. James and I were mostly lost and kind of starving, and you saved our asses. So whatever, you know manipulation of our minds and our journey is going on here. I just want to say thank you now. I'm very excited to be puppeteered across to the next step. Well, that's nice to know, said Marlene, sharpening up a large serving knife as she moved in on the steak and kidney pie. What's that? Oh, it's heavenly. The nag snorted as the pie was laid down. Only the British could conceive of combining decent cuts of meat with the offal that nobody else would want. Rather like you and I. Are you calling me a kidney? Because one cannot function without kidneys. You keep on quaffing that bourbon, and we'll see if that's true. My dear old fish, must we all be reminded that we're on bloody holiday? And yet here I am, doing all the cooking, as per usual, while you laze about like a dying swan. Right, you fucker. I'm going to do the washing up. Splendid. I didn't like those plates anyway. Should we leave you two alone? Would you take him with you when you go? Molaine's tone softened as she doled out helpings of meat, gravy, and flaky pastry. Long way to the door, and a horse to ride you there would get it done a lot quicker. Not to mention safer. You want to get rid of me? The nag sounded hurt. I think a little stretch of your legs and doing something for someone else would do you good. She replied, and placed the remaining half pie, still in its dish, upon the little pink wicker table beside the couch, close to his head. He eyed her reproachfully, set down the bottle upon the table, then turned and slumped away from her. He's sulking. Let him be, said Merlane. Abigail and I fell upon our suppers like gannets. After we'd eaten, Merlane put the dessert into the oven, and I stepped outside to catch my breath. My head was swimming, and there was just too much to take in right now. As I was leaving, the nag had gotten to his feet, or hooves, I suppose, and approached the sink full of dishes with murderous intent. Out in the night, I stood some way from the cottage looking up at the stars. It was strangely reassuring that they had the same constellations as us here. A thought had been growing in my mind recently. Each alternate Earth could be seen as a child, one born without the knowledge of its many, many siblings. Each of them proceeding onward with their solitary lives, all undergoing different experiences and developing different strengths and weaknesses. Was it so very wrong to want to reunite a few of these lost wanderers? To see how they fared on the journey together? 
quite beautiful, aren't they? A voice at my side clipped, making me jump. Merlane stood, neck craned, studying the heavens with me. I once believed they were prettier when I was younger, but they've taken on new aspects since then. They're more beautiful to me now for their complexity. I don't know. When I was six years old, I knew the earth was a flat tabletop. That God loved me unconditionally. And that lime necko wafers were the greatest foodstuff in the entire world. Just thinking about these had me recalling the taste and set my mouth watering. I knew it because I'd been told the first two and discovered the third for myself. Then I got to seven years old and started asking questions. The tabletop became a sphere. God's love got a lot more conditional. And I ate a steak with horseradish sauce. And the more questions I asked, the more complicated the world got. Until things unraveled. And there were questions no grown-up had answers to, like, Where are all these monsters coming from? And are we going to be okay? I realized most adults don't have all the answers. The ones who claim they do are never to be trusted. And now, like nobody could have told me would happen, I'm standing here, on another sphere entirely, talking to a witch. Wizard. Sorry. What's the difference? One of those is what I am, one's what I'm not. Oh, makes sense. You still ask a lot of questions now. Do you think this habit has helped you? Um, I chewed my lower lip. I'm increasingly aware of how the more of them I ask, the further I get pushed from everyone else. Or are you pushing them away with your questions? I guess. I suppose if they stick around, they're good for keeps. It seems like your other power is rather appropriately bestowed. How did you know... At this, she gave me a secretive smile. Over the past few minutes, it had started to spot with cooling nighttime rain. Now it was beginning to come down in an insistent shower, and Merlane tapped her staff on the ground. From the middle of her body, a shimmering silver bubble expanded outward, rolling around me to encircle a pair of us. The rain reflected and bounced away as I shuffled and brushed my shoulders off under this new cover. Merlane took an edge of her damp sleeve in her fingers and rubbed it over the headpiece of her gnarled wooden staff. Some long ingrained dirt was wiped away, and I caught the obsidian gleam of an inert orb surrounded by the twisting wood. You're kidding. I've held on to this for an awfully long time. Then tell me how to use it. At the moment, I'm clumsy as hell, and you're a motherfucking sorceress. What's your language, young lady? She opened the shield in a wide patch above me, dumping a splash of water onto my hat, where it sluiced off and somehow found its way down the back of my coat. Ah! See, that's the fan control I'm talking about. I can tell you a thing or two about it now, I suppose. The rest, you'll have to figure out for yourself. It's a very versatile set of abilities. I was fighting a woman a day ago. And she hurt me even through the shield. Yes, you're not invincible. It would do you good to bear that in mind. But you can withstand a mighty shock and keep moving. For a little while, at least. That much I knew. I jumped out of a 
the flying machine and survived. But this woman, I might have hurt her pretty badly. When I defended myself, I think I broke her leg with this thing. Think of it as a hammer as well as a shield, which can be used as a tool or a weapon. Mostly I just want to armor myself up, so nobody can hurt me. Well, it'll do that on its own. I concentrated and felt the royal blue light encase my fists, my arms, my sides. It protected my chest, my legs, and my heart. My coat shivered as I pushed this plate of light out and away from my body, attempting to form a full suit of armor. I could feel myself growing dizzy already and losing my grip. Merlane watched me with interest until I felt that powerful sneezing sensation burst out of me and a ripple echoing away into the night through Merlane's shield, disrupting it and bringing down a small lake of accumulated rainwater on her heads. Both of us shrieked like scalded cats. She removed her drenched hat and beat it with her hand to shake the excess off, then returned it to her head with the utmost dignity and regarded me frostily. Practice, but away from other people. I nodded dutifully, wishing I could stay here and learn more. Can't, though. I heard her voice in my head. There is one other thing that's been bothering me. Go on. When I absorbed the shield endowment, James warned that it might take something from me as payment, same as the ability to close doors took this eye away. But I ain't noticed anything missing since then. So could you at least tell me what I've given up? Her bright eyes narrowed as she inspected me. Hmm. The price hasn't been paid, she muttered. Yet. dried the last of the dishes and placed them where the nag gruffly directed me to, back into their various cupboards. He had not broken a single one, and I could not entirely describe how a horse washes a plate, but somehow he managed it with surprising deftness. He ate all of his meal in the end, but only after his companion had left the room and it had gone cold. When Marlene re-entered with Abigail, she asked how we had met, so the pair of us recounted in surprisingly thorough detail our crossing of paths at Weirwood, and unexpectedly our doomed companionship with poor Lucy Weatherfield. She was sort of the glue that held the two of us together. It only worked for a short while, and for a long time after we two lived pretty much entirely apart under the same roof. It was necessary. At least, Catherine believed it was, to keep us separate. She observed that we might not be the best people for each other's company. And do you think she was right? Abigail and I regarded one another, afraid of the answer. A while back, Butler and Annie, those were two dear friends of ours, told us about the importance of using one's head and one's heart. And I guess since then I kind of entertained the notion that James was the head and I was the heart in our little dynamic. 
I figured that meant we worked together fine and dandy. But what would that have made Lucy? What's the glue between the head and the heart? Seems to me that you're getting far too fixated on just being one thing. We all have heart and brains and the impulse to act upon them. None of us is having to get by on just one of those qualities, and if they do, I've found they come to a sticky end rather soonish. You're just inevitably governed by one more than the other. Merlane crossed to the oven and brought out a marmalade roll, then gave the custard on the hob a quick stir, unsettling the shiny skin that had gathered across its rich yellow surface, and poured it into a jug. Could it be that what you're talking about here is looking for someone with a complementary disposition to yourself, and being annoyed at one another for not comfortably fitting that ideal. She sat back down, sliced a gooey orange hunk off the corner of the pudding, and levered it onto a plate, enveloping it in warm custard, and sliding the dish across to Abigail. Seems like you might be missing what a special rapport the two of you appear to have. That's not common. She repeated the action and passed me a helping. And it seems like you may also be intent on punishing one another for neither of you being this Lucy character. The third and much larger slice was apportioned off, and the nag with a wary eye on her approached the table to inhale his dessert. Merlane slowly sidled around and scratched behind his ear. You might like to try an alternative approach and each stop attempting to mould the other to be a better fit for yourself. She sat, moved the last piece onto her dish, clothed it in custard, and speared the corner with her fork. That way, you might begin to appreciate what delightful tosspots you both are. There was a stunned silence as we chewed thoughtfully. have been listening to episode 11 of Uncivil Outlaw, The Odd Couple, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Merlane, now performed by Maya Santandrea, with Maureen Foley and Alex Shaw. Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Dr. James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw. And The Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. Teller of the Tales, Miri's Magic Dance, and Smoking Gun, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Arrival by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. And Meltdowns, composed for New Century by Gil Haim Steinberg. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Uncivil Outlaw Theme, True Greatness, performed by Bjorn Lin of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. I have donated to two charity funds connected with Black Lives Matter. 
there is Black Minds Matter, based in the UK, which is an organisation that connects black clients with black therapists, including providing financial support. These are two groups who respectively have a much tougher time being able to find mental health support and being able to attain the qualifications to practice due to the currently unfair system. And there is the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network's Autistic People of Colour Fund. This US-based charity provides direct support, mutual aid and reparations. I have specifically focused on some of the most vulnerable and often most ignored members of society here. Sharon has also donated to the Black Journalists Therapy Relief Fund, which is financing mental health support for black journalists covering the BLM demonstrations. Throughout at least July and August 2020 and what remains of June, every single penny I make from sales of the New Century Multiverse audiobooks on Bandcamp will be donated by me to those above-mentioned charities. So if you've been holding back on buying these, any that you pick up this summer will have the proceeds going to some very good causes. And all the links to these can be found pinned to the top of both of my Twitter accounts. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our top-tier $15 sponsors get a shout-out every episode, so many thanks to Joel Robinson, Finbar Nicole, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Angus Lee, Kevin Bay, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Johan Clayson, Joe Gesiga, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Matthew A. Siebert, Kat Esman, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Tom Painter, Dan Hepner, Marty Huey, Mark Luksh, Brian Novak, Frankie Punzi, Aaron Lecluse, Lorraine Chisholm, Timothy Green, Cassandra Newman, Duran Barnett, Benjamin, Joseph Gluck, Greg Downing, Kieran Dashler, Dan Mayer, Jameis Enright, Nick Ord, David Sheely, Chris Finnick, and Joe Crow. 